Okay, hello everyone. Welcome into another edition of the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Demui, and in this uh, episode, we're going to be going over the LSU-Auburn series, and in my opinion, we just let one series slip away right there with Auburn taking the series two games to one. They won on Thursday, Saturday. LSU took the middle game, and um, I think it's just a lost opportunity, in my opinion, on a lot of different levels. I think we saw some good things, which we'll go over, but if you're the coaching staff and you're the players, you just have to shake your head after walking off the field right there on Saturday, knowing that you let a series win really get away. And to be honest, a lot of people in the SEC this year are very average. If you take out Tennessee and Arkansas, you only have two more teams that are above 500, and that's Georgia at 6-3 and three and Auburn, who's 5-4. and four. If you look at the rest of the SEC West, you have four team, well, five teams that are sitting at 4-5. and five. So really a chance to make some hay and separate yourself a little bit this weekend, and it just comes down to little things and execution. So in this episode, we'll be going over a recap of the LSU-Auburn series. We'll go over the three big things we learned this weekend. And lastly, we will go over the get right, stay right. How did my predictions do? And uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear that, you can check out the LSU-Auburn preview where I went over some of the key Auburn hitters to look out for this weekend, a little bit of their pitchers. And we're going to do a uh, – every podcast, we're going to do a segment called Get Right, Stay Right. So in my opinion, who needs to get right? So who needs to get hot or get better on the mound or, or find their groove? And then on the backside, who needs to stay right? So who needs to stay hot? Who needs to keep throwing up zeros on the mound? Uh, who needs to play, keep playing good baseball, really? So that's what we'll be looking at. In terms of the channel, I want to thank everybody that's been here. This is our third episode. So I've been here for the past two. I want to thank everybody who helped to shout me out on Twitter this weekend. And I did a lot of work with the channel this weekend. I'm trying to get it to where you don't have to stare at my face for 20 to 30 minutes. So it's a, uh, I'm learning on the fly here, just trying to do all this stuff on my own. So watching a lot of tutorials. Let's just put it to you like that. So whoever makes tutorials out there, if you happen to be listening, keep doing it because it's been a great help. But if you want to find the 60 Feet 6 Inches podcast, one of the things is once you view this episode, it will be available on or should be available on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Um, yeah, also, I will send out a link uh, in the Twitter to subscribe to 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Podcast and also send out a link to this episode. And in terms of Twitter, you can find us. Uh, I got the Twitter up and running this weekend, as many of you saw, hopefully. The Twitter account is at 60FT6INLSUPod. So I had to do some things just to kind of separate ourselves from that. So it's at 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod on Twitter. As always, you can hit me up on my personal account, which is at C-D-E-M-O-U-Y. C-D-E-M-O-U-Y. I spell it just because it's a weird last name. I'm more than happy to admit that. Um, a couple of quick shout outs, and I think maybe I can do this uh, on each episode. People that interact with me on Twitter or that uh, like or subscribe to the podcast, but uh, I just want to kind of give them a heads up, and I'll and I'll put it in the Twitter link too. I'll just I'll put their Twitter out there, so if LSU fans want to follow them and interact with them as well, so really good people out there that um, I haven't met all of them, but they've uh, I've always had good interactions on Twitter, and that's uh, I got to start with my boy Stephen Miller, so I'll get y'all a link to his Twitter, and always my uh, LSU brethren uh, Ray Wright, my buddy up in North Carolina who made that amazing catch in the 2000 College World Series, my teammate Joe Pa Joey Paynich up in West Monroe. And then two people I follow on Twitter that um, kind of shouted me out this weekend. It's uh, Peggy. I'll put her link. She goes by Peg Red on Twitter. Huge LSU fan. Huge following, like 20,000 followers. So shout out to you. 
And also Tigers in the Miners. They shouted out the 60 Feet 6 Inch Podcast, and I'll put a link to their Twitter as well. So hit the like button, subscribe, and let's just get into it. So I thought coming in, my prediction was LSU would take the series two out of one. Uh, doing a deep dive into Auburn, they were a little bit better than I thought they were, but very similar to LSU. And specifically, I said LSU needed to handle their first three hitters, that being Rambush, who came in on a 15-game hitting streak, their second hitter, Howe, and then the big guy, Sonny Deshara. I learned how to say his name appropriately this weekend. I mean, fourth in the country in hitting, first in the country in on-base percentage. He led Auburn in home runs. He was the SOCON player of the year at Sanford. As a freshman, he led uh, the SOCON in home runs. He, this guy is just a pure hitter in every sense of the word. And if you watch him take at bats this weekend, if you want to know what a hitter is, that's him. He's got way more walks and strikeouts on the year. And I think you saw his patience at the plate this weekend, more than happy to take a walk on several occasions. And every time he hit the ball, I think he found the barrel. Now, he didn't necessarily come back to hurt LSU in the first two games, but on Saturday, he actually, he was the reason why they won. And he carried that team. And we'll get into that. But that guy was very impressive on the weekend. So I'll watch that guy hit anytime, just as long as I'm not on the mound. So uh, I'm sure he would have hammered me at some point. So real quick, so this is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Uh, I'm just going to kind of get into a couple key points in each game. So part of my get right um, list for the weekend was Blake Money to where I wanted to see him. He had that little nerf thing going, the first SEC series. And then at uh, Florida, you know, he um, he had a rough fifth inning. And that reared its ugly head again to where he threw great except for the fifth inning versus Auburn. So he was on my get right list. And I don't know if he's struggling a little bit. I think he's still trying to find it. And he's the Thursday, Friday night guy. So at in that role, a lot of times pitchers put a, a lot of pressure on themselves. And they also look to set the tone for the weekend. And that, that role is deemed as the ace of the staff. So there's a lot of pressure goes with that role, a lot of expectations as well. And I think, um, you know, he's just going through that for the first time, really, since he thrust himself into that role this year. But in the Thursday night game, LSU loses that game 6-5. to five. I thought they got off to a quick start. You know, Money did a good job in the first working around some trouble, and his velocity was up. He was 94-95 early. You saw Doty lead off the game with a bomb, so LSU jumps out early. And then really, just Money's just rolling along pretty well. But you did see some signs of potential trouble to come and the fact that his pitch count was really climbing early in the game. He was having trouble finishing hitters off. I think you saw him go to a lot of 2-2, 3-2 counts, and Auburn hitters were just able to stay alive. And that's one thing I noticed with him to where, so when I watch a game, I really watch the pitchers and how Coach Jason Kelly calls pitches. And I think this game, Money really started off a lot of people's breaking balls, and then he would try to finish them off with fastballs. And he's got a good fastball, but I really wish he would go in more. He doesn't have a wipeout breaking ball. Um, he has a good change, but he didn't really feature his changeup this weekend nearly as much as he did against Florida. So it's pretty much this weekend was pretty much fastball curveball. And he early in the game he used his curveball to get ahead, and then he just had people trouble finishing his uh the hitters off with fastballs. He likes to try to elevate it at times, but I think when you just go middle in, middle away, excuse me, with your fastball, those hitters don't have to respect the inside portion of the plate. And I think for him, if he would bust people in 
every now and then that would open up the whole outside part of the plate and really make his breaking ball more effective. And I asked for that during the preview. Um, and for some reason, I, I don't know if it's his comfort level, if it's um, the pitching coach, Jason Kelly, doesn't like to throw in. I know Skip hated throwing in because he didn't want to hit anybody. But uh, it, it just uh, maybe – I don't know. I'm not in those meetings. So that's just something i like to see moving forward. I just think it would make uh, the breaking ball so much better. But one of the things that LSU faced was they faced Mullins, who was a left-handed pitcher out of Auburn. And if you watched the game, you saw Coach Jay Johnson say during one of those dugout interviews early in the game, I think the fourth, that they were surprised by Mullins. They, his stuff had surprised them. I mean, he was 92-93 from the left side, uh, worked fastballs in and out, showed a slider at times. But he really dominated with that fastball and kind of kept LSU at bay for several innings. They even said on the SEC broadcast that um, – he was a top 100 prospect prospect last year. He's a freshman. He turned down Tennessee and Vanderbilt to come pitch at Auburn um, due to his relationship with the coaches over there. So it was interesting to hear Coach Johnson say those, they have scouting report. They have film on those guys. But to say he even – Mullins even surprised him with the quality of their stuff was an interesting comment that I picked up on. In the fourth, Travinsky, who was a really good addition this weekend, I thought, he hits a solo home run. And so LSU is just rolling right along. You know, going into the fifth, up 2 nothing, and Blake Money's doing great. And I may touch on Travinsky later, but I, I want to make sure I mention it. I thought he was great this weekend. He goes 4 for 10 with a home run. He let off some really key innings later in the weekend. And I know Malazzo's still hurt, and you can debate whether or not who you like defensively. But right now, the ability of Travinsky to give you quality at bats, power, from the 8-9 hole, and then to roll that lineup over, I think it's huge right now. And I think you think you may give away a little defense as long as he keeps hitting. Now, if he goes in a four- or five-game slump, by all means, put in Malazzo when he's healthy because we all know malazzo has got a hand cannon back there. But right now, Travinsky's to me, he's doing the job. And you can see he's playing with a lot of confidence. Um, I think he's handling the pitchers well. He's an older guy, so, you know, he's mature. And um, – Really bright spot this weekend for the Tigers. So let's talk about the fifth, okay? The fifth is just when it was just a house of horrors for LSU. And the defense really just reared its ugly head. So I'm going to get into this inning specifically, and then I'll just sum up the game real quick. This is when Blake Money gets into trouble. So in the fifth, you got 8-9-1 coming up. And so with with the firepower Auburn had at the top of that lineup, you got to handle 8-9-1. Eight, single. Nine is a bunt single, and that's when they had the miscommunication between Money and Trey Morgan. And you can see that Blake was really upset with the situation. I don't think he was upset at Trey. Maybe more just himself in the situation, the fact that, you know, that happened. So now you got first and second and the leadoff guy up. So they sacrifice, move the runners over, and then you get the two hole to pop up. So you're one pitch away, but you got Sonny Deshara coming up to three hole. What do they do? They intentionally walk him by far and away the right thing to do. So you got bases loaded, two outs. Now I saw some discussion on Twitter when they go bunt, they go single, bunt, single, sack, bunt. They flash to Riley Cooper in the bullpen. So Riley Cooper's the lefty. I think he was ready to roll for the two hole. No, he was ready to roll if money got in trouble. But I think this is just me guessing. When they saw the two-hole pop up and you have two outs, 
you see they walk Deshara. So your bases loaded two outs. I'm sure Jay Johnson and Jason Kelly probably looked at each other and said, let's let him get out of it. Because if it's out of it, you're golden. You're up 2 nothing. And the lefty coming up in the four-hole had struck out two times previously. So money had handled him. And I don't have a problem with that. As a, you know, I've been a starter. Those guys want to finish their innings. They don't like for relievers to come in and screw it up. I, I did that plenty of times. They don't like for them. You know, if they get in a jam, they want to get out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think at that point they sat Cooper down, and then maybe they told Bryce Collins to just toss. Because everybody was wondering, like, why they didn't pull him. So I think that's what happened. I mean, if you sit the lefty down for the lefty-lefty matchup, you can't just – and you don't have double-barrel action going in the pin. Nobody's going to be able to get hot in, you know, two minutes or a minute as quick as things happen. So then the four-hole hits a ground ball to Morgan. I don't know what happened. He doesn't get in front of it. He tries to scoop it. He's very athletic, as we all know. It just takes a bad hop. It was a mess. Two-run score, and that's where things start snowballing. I think you see, one, you saw Morgan's body language shift dramatically after that, and I think it affected his at-bats the next two times he came up. The other thing is, I think it affected Blake Money as well. This is just me guessing, but when something like that happens as a pitcher and you're so close to getting out of that jam, and you're like, God, I weathered the storm, I got through the top of the order, you make a pitch to get a ground ball, I think you're just pissed in general. You're not mad that your infielders didn't make the play. You're just mad at the situation. You know, you're mad that I thought I was going to get out of it. It didn't happen. But now you have to refocus and get the next guy. And what happens is you go 1-0, and then you give up a three-run bomb. And they didn't have time to bring somebody in. And, and to me, that inning just completely it unravels from there. And I thought, I think, if I'm guessing, I think he was still thinking about the ground ball a little bit. You don't realize you have the five hole coming up. You go 1-0. I think he hangs a breaking ball, and it's just a bomb. And now you're looking at, you know, a 4-1 uh, a uh, inning right there, or five-run inning, but you still have two outs. Then all of a sudden you give up a single, a wild pitch that advances the guy to second. Boom, defense rears his ugly head again. Doty makes an error short. The guy scores, and then you're looking at a six spot. So just like that, things can unravel, and that's just – I'll get into this in the uh, the three big things, but it's little things. It's execution to where when Morgan makes that error as a pitcher, you got to bear down even more. And I'm not saying he didn't, but it just seemed like things were still affecting him. And even after the bomb, you got to figure out a way to get the hell out of that inning and get those guys back in the dugout. Because at that point, whoever they had up, it was Collins, obviously. He just wasn't ready yet. So there was some Twitter discussion on that, but that's what I think happened. So... It was just kind of a – it just got out of control in a hurry with two outs. And the whole time you realize, man, you're just one pitch away. And I don't – they didn't visit either at that time to slow the inning down. So I'm not sure what went on, but that's just my best guess estimate. And it sucked because he was doing so well. And it, it was just another big inning for him. And the fifth inning as well because he gave up, like I said earlier, four in Florida. Innings five, six, seven. LSU just shut it down at the plate. They got one hit. I think they are mentally – that inning took a lot out of them um, to where they were so close. Maybe it almost felt like a microcosm, a replay of the Florida game to where LSU lost on that Friday night, seven to two, I believe. But then in the eighth, you know, they are down um, six to two at that point. Thompson gets a single. Joe Bear comes alive again. Boom, hits a bomb. 
So he's back in the swing of things, kind of picking up where he left off for the past 10 days or so. So then you're back in at 6-4. Uh, Dugas gets a double right after that, but then you just can't get him home. You know, you you, uh, you leave him stranded. And then Bianco pinch hits at that inning, and I thought he got a bomb. I thought he hit a bomb. He hit it right up to the base of the fence. But uh, just a couple more push-ups and that, you know, a couple more reps and you get that out. No, I mean, I thought – I thought he got that for sure right off the bat to tie it up, but it just wasn't happening. In the, um, you know, in terms of the pitching, Bryce Collins was money. Uh, no pun intended. Bryce Collins was nails. He came in relief of Blake Money and he saved the bullpen for the entire weekend. He goes three and a, three and two thirds, excuse me, scoreless with five strikeouts, and um, he was great because he could have came in and and let that lead. Uh, let them extend that lead, make Coach Jay Johnson, those guys, use up more bullpen arms, which hurts the team for the rest of the weekend. And I think he just stayed the course and threw great. So th- I think you've really seen him step into the role where he's your long guy. If a starter struggles early um, in the third, fourth, or fifth, he can come in and give you three to five. So he's carved out that role for himself, and I think he does it very well. A uh, two-pitch pitcher with a very good curveball. So uh, – he was with Coach Johnson in Arizona, so he, he's kind of an older guy. So it, it's been nice to see him pitch well the last couple outings. And then in the ninth, we talked about Auburn bringing in their closer, Burkhalter, and he's nasty. He's 95-96 with a dirty cutter slider. That thing just takes a left turn and just keeps going. And that is really hard to pick up. And LSU actually got to him twice this weekend, and they got to him a little bit on Thursday night. But, uh, I mean, that guy's really good. So if you're wondering why we couldn't score, I mean, I think he had 24 innings pitch coming into the weekend with one walk, you know, uh, four saves, 11 appearances. I mean, he's their shutdown guy, and, and he showed it. But in the ninth, you know, LSU had a chance. Doty had a single. Morgan had a single. He had been struggling up to that point. Cruz uh, gets a sack fly. So you got first and third, one out, down by two. Um, It looks like we – Score a run. Oh, excuse me. Score a run on the sack fly. I apologize. So you got runners on the corners, six to five with Barry up. And Barry goes K. He goes 0 2. And then out of nowhere, Burke calls with Ozzy McKay. I mean, excuse me, change up. He strikes out on. And then Thompson ends the game. So we lose 6 5. Chances to win it. Um, that one inning was just an absolute mess. I think they did a good job of handling uh, one, two, three in the order. But in the end, that one inning just ends up to bite you, and they didn't do enough with runners in scoring position to really, um, you know, capitalize. I thought Money did a great job. Uh, six out of nine innings, they retired the leadoff guy. And in the preview, I said retiring the leadoff guy is of the utmost importance. So that stinks, but guess who comes to the rescue again? Mikhail Hilliard. I got it right that time. Mikhail Hilliard, game two, he was Money. He was the – he saved the day. He was the player of the game, period. Just like he did in Florida. He came back to lead LSU, and what you saw is just a veteran guy just kind of coming into his own. So McHale on the day, give you his quick line score. You know, he goes five and a third, four hits, no runs, seven punch outs. I thought he did great. He set the tone, and he allowed LSU's bats to get going, you know, to where they, once again, they jump out in the lead in the first inning with Cruz, hits a solo bomb. They strike for two more runs in the fifth. Um. And then in the um, – Taylor comes in to relieve Hilliard in the sixth. 
he gives up a couple runs to where now you're looking at L- you know LSU's three to two going into the bottom of the seventh, and then LSU has their own beginning. They explode. You know, Travinsky starts it off with a walk. You get a Doty single, and but then with two outs, you saw LSU really do a good job because after Doty singles, Morgan gets out, Cruz gets out. But then you see a huge two-out hit, two-strike hit by Jacob Berry. Then Joe Bear gets intentionally walked. Then you have a wild pitch. We mentioned the wild pitches. Auburn leads the conference in wild pitches. We mentioned that in the preview. If you haven't seen it, go back and check it out. You can see how good I am in my predictions. And then um, JT doubles to score a couple runs. Then Dugas follows that up with a double. And all of a sudden, you got an LSU with a big inning. They score five runs with two outs. You know, Jacob Berry does a good job and a two-strike hit. And then you're looking at going into the eighth. You know, it's eight to two LSU. Um, they pull Taylor. They put in Gervais. Gervais only faces one hitter. And this is when you saw Razelman come in and just blow absolute gas. So he was throwing 97-98. He comes in and gets in out of a little bit of a jam in the um, seventh. Let's see. Excuse me, the eighth. Yeah. And then he just he just goes out there and he just deals for an inning. And then in the ninth, they put in um, Bittmeyer and he closes it out. No big deal. But it was really impressive to see one Hilliard. Hilliard just continues to impress. You know, and if you saw his post-game interview, I think it was on Tiger TV. And uh, my boy Stephen Miller had a link to that on his Twitter you just saw a really composed, humble guy. Who He said the interview asked him a question about how would you pitch. He said, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about everybody else, which is really impressive. And you could say, oh, college kids, he's just doing that. I just think that's just how he is. You know, he's a central kid. He's been in the program for a long time. He's had his ups and downs. But the last two weekends, he's been nails. So it's really good to see him succeed. And it was also good to see Razelman come in in a tight situation, get a strikeout, show a lot of emotion. Then he came out the next inning just pumping gas. And I think you've seen him come into his own as well, to where I think him and Gervais have really carved out a role for themselves on the bullpen. I think Gervais is going to be that bridge. He's shown the ability to throw three days in a row because he throws again on Saturday. Razelman comes back on Saturday and throws well as again. And you've also been able to see that maintain their velocity. It's, it's one thing to be able to throw multiple times in a weekend, but for you to be able to maintain your stuff, your command, and your velocity, that's that's really impressive, and that's something LSU needs, especially not having a true dominant starter um, like LSU is used to having. So that was really the story of game two was Hilliard, and LSU's bats just came alive and had that one big inning uh, with a couple bombs again. So going into the rubber series, and we'll finish it up here with game three. So game three, you saw Dutton take the mound again. And it was good to see the freshman roll back out there. I think he's starting to get more comfortable in SEC play. That takes some time. And I think you'll see him have good outings, and you'll see him have bad outings throughout conference play because he seems to have nailed down that Sunday spot for now. And um, that's fine with me. He showed some good velocity. Uh, He was like 94, 95 early. I mean, LSU's got arms. They got guys that throw hard. They really do. It's just a matter of putting it all together. And that's just a work in progress. And um, I know LSU fans don't like to hear that. And our expectations are up here. But uh, unfortunately, it's just going to take time. And especially, I think we got hitters that can go off at any moment. But I think from a pitching staff, you're starting to see them come into their own. And now you're just looking for more consistency from uh, certain guys. And I think those nine guys have really been established. 
But as y'all know, LSU lost the Saturday game six four. Uh, I thought it come down came down to little things, defense again, and then LSU had a hard time solving Auburn starter Gonzalez. He was eighty eight to ninety two. And I don't know if y'all saw this on the broadcast, but he had a great sinker. And he threw predominantly fastballs. And I think you saw a lot of ground balls out of LSU, whether it be hits or outs. And somebody that really struggled with his sinker, just, just to give an example, was Dylan Cruz. You know, he hit everything on the ground on Saturday. Um, he pulled outside pitches. Uh, I think that was just a problem handling the sinker. You know, that thing's moving all over the place. And you know, like Dylan Cruz had an 0 for. He went 0 for 4. So I think guys just had trouble adjusting to that pitch because he didn't have a great breaking ball. And he might have flashed a changeup. But I think it was predominantly sinkers in and out, you know, working both sides of the plate. So um, this time Auburn gets off to the hot start. And this is where you saw Auburn's top three hitters of Rambush, Howell, and Deshara, specifically Deshara, really take control of this game and a force to be reckoned with. They were quiet for the first two games. But this game you saw that that – they really were the engine behind that offense. And right there in the first, Deshara hits a double and um, puts Auburn up one to nothing. In the second, LSU gets it back, uh, evens the score. Um, looking for my box score there. With three ground ball singles, and that was just how Gonzalez pitched. You know, LSU just had to manufacture runs with the ground ball, so they found holes. So they get, get they get it back to where it goes. Uh, it goes one to one. Auburn gets a run in the fourth. And this was kind of a theme for today where, and this is what I talk about, young pitchers just being consistent. In the fourth, you saw Auburn, they um, they had a, a two-out walk to the catcher, LaRue. Make sure I'm saying his name right. Yeah, Nate LaRue. He's the catcher, and he's hitting under 200 on the air. He's a big guy, but, I mean, he struggles at the plate. So you see Dutton kind of get into some trouble there. You've got a two-out walk. So he goes 0-2 to a walk, which is gives pitching coaches nightmares. And then Fontenot comes in, and Fontenot gives up a run in that situation. And I think you saw that um, Fontenot really struggled that day. And I think he's trying to figure out where he – I still think he's trying to figure out where he fits in. You know, is he going to be a long reliever? Is he going to be a setup guy? Is he going to close? Is he going to start? They need to figure out what his role is and just put him in it and let him go. Because there's nothing worse than being a pitcher and you having no idea what role you play on the team and um, or where you fit in. And especially when you've been here as long as he has, you've been the closer before, you've been in high-pressure situations, he just wants to pitch and pitch well. And I think that's uh, affecting him right now. And also, I don't think he has a very good feel for his breaking ball at all. It's flat, it's up, and it's uh, – I think he's just kind of in no man's land right now. But you saw, um, you know, you saw LaRue, when he walked, that just kind of sets up the inning right there and um, and leads to Auburn getting a run. I'm sorry, Fontenot did not give up that run. So, uh, and then from there, Auburn's leading, you know, 2-1. And then um, you see Deshara hit a bomb, which is, you know, we have a walk to the two hole in the fifth right there. So you have Rambush, Fontenot still in. You have Rambush who grounds out how walks on a 3-2 pitch. And all of a sudden, Deshara comes up and hits an absolute 
just rocket to center field, and he just crushes that ball to where, you know, you, you get an out on the leadoff guy, then you get a 3-2 walk, then all of a sudden, you know, you fall behind Deshara, and he just he just makes you pay. And that just hurts right there. And Auburn scores two runs right there in the fifth inning. And then, um, you know, Cooper comes in for Fontenot right there. And the LSU's bats are just going quiet, you know. Uh, they don't really do anything until the seventh. So after Cooper takes the mound, you see Gervais come in. So it's good to see Gervais. It's his third day in a road pitch. And I think on the broadcast they said he ran up to 97 that day, which is crazy. And he's got a really funky arm angle. So um, he was kind of all over the place in the seventh. I really thought Auburn was going to have a big inning. His mechanics were kind of everywhere. But then he gets a little bit of trouble. He figures out or he gets out of it. Bam, bam, bam. And so um, LSU strikes back in the seventh to score two runs. And so now, you know, you're looking at a ball game right here. So it's four to three going into the eighth. And let's see, he's pitching the eighth. Gervais still pitching in the eighth. <clears throat> and this is where, as a pitcher, you refer to them as shutdown innings. So this is where you need to shut down the opponent. You just scored two runs to make it four to three. And you need to go back out there and get those hitters back in the dugout. But that didn't happen. So once again, LaRue comes up to catcher. Under 200, gets hit on an 0-2 pitch. That's never a good sign. So as a pitcher, you know, you kind of screwed up. You hit one of their worst hitters who's having a bad weekend on an 0-2 pitch. You need to get a ground ball for a double play, a pop-up. You just need to make something happen quickly before things spiral out of control, and especially being the eighth. It's 4-3. to got to keep the lead there or within striking distance. But then um, you get a ground out. Advances to second. You get another ground out. So you're almost out of it. You got two outs. First and third, Razelman comes in, and this is where Auburn's hitters did a better job than LSU's hitters on the day. Their hitter fights off a two-strike pitch and gets a bloop single just over the outstretched arms of Thompson at second base. And then, then you had the defensive error after that. <clears throat> you had the shift, because Deshara comes up next, you had the shift where you have Thompson, who's a second baseman, playing on the shortstop side of second base. Deshara hits a ground ball, and those two guys run into each other. Error, or they call it a single. A run scores. And so you give up two runs, so now you're going into the bottom of the eighth, down six to three. My only question is, if you knew, I would assume, if you knew you were going to shift like that this weekend because of Deshara, did you take ground balls like that this weekend? Because if you didn't, then that's a problem. But when you have two... You're shortstop and your second baseman playing on the left side of the infield. And I've never seen LSU implement that shift before. I assume they take ground balls in that position. But it was a cluster. They trip over each other. They don't. They look at each other like the Spider-Man meme, like you got it. Who knows? You got it. I got it. And it's just a mess. With two outs, you had a chance to get out of that inning, but you give up two more runs. It's 6-3 going into the bottom of the eighth. Morgan hits a bomb to make it six to four. And then LSU just kind of peters out, you know, um, in the ninth, they have their closer in and Morgan actually hits a bomb off of Burkhalter, their closer. He did a great job staying inside the baseball, hitting it to left center. Um, 
Razelman deals in the ninth, and, and then in the bottom of the ninth, uh, Barry grounds out to second. Joe Barry grounds out. That's when they had those crazies. Auburn has their own switch on. The second baseman's playing short right field. Barry hits it right to him. Um, Joe Bear hits it right to him. And then Thompson K's in the game. So great job of scouting by Auburn. They make the play on the shift. LSU doesn't. And then you lose the series. So it's a chance to where you had a – pitchers had a chance to get out of certain innings. Auburn battled. And um, LSU just didn't do enough at the plate. And then once again, the defense reared their ugly head on Saturday. So that's it. So you walk away from that game as a player, as a coach, thinking, how the hell did that just happen? We had those guys. We should have beat them, but you didn't. All right, so let's wrap this up here. I get talking about games. I go into certain innings, so I apologize. I go off on tangents. So the three big things. What did we learn this weekend? Three big things in defense, right? That's definitely my number one. It hurt Friday night. With not being able to get that inning, it led to a big inning uh, against Blake Money on the mound. And really, that's the only inning Auburn scored. That was it. So without that inning, LSU wins the game. And then you saw it hurt again on uh, Saturday on the rubber game. Yeah, so it hurt Thursday night for Money. Hurt Saturday again on the rubber game with the inability to keep the damage uh, to a minimum there. You know, it um, to where every time you make an error – it extends the inning. So as a pitcher, it drives your pitch count up, but those guys get another chance to, to put the ball in play. And this is what I'm worried about about the defense. This is my big takeaway. Does it affect the pitchers to where they are afraid every time they give up a ground ball, they're afraid the defense is going to make that play? Now, maybe that's simplified and you're saying, Chris, how could that happen? But it does get into your mind a little mentally. So then you don't want to, you don't want the pitchers to try to do too much or they try to strike out everybody. And then, you know, it's kind of a vicious cycle, right? Also, you wonder, uh, baseball is a very mental game, and guys can get the yips, you see, just like in golf, per se. But uh, do infielders, when they see ground balls coming to them, do they second-guess everything? Do they second-guess their steps? Do they second-guess once they get it how many times they pat their glove? You don't want that to become an issue to where the infielders are now questioning themselves and their ability. So that's what I'm worried about as a fan, as an ex-player, is that this thing spirals out of control, and everybody's kind of a mental midget out there. The second big thing that we saw was um, a, a lack of execution. And I said it on Twitter, I felt like LSU needed to have a sense of urgency on the Friday night game with Hilliard pitching, and they did. You saw them jump out early this weekend, but they really didn't continue it. So the second big thing is execution, sense of urgency, little things. I thought, um, you know, I thought you saw pitchers, they didn't necessarily execute tough pitches and in, in tough situations. I think you saw hitters, they didn't execute with runners in scoring positions or big two-out hits as often as you would like. Now, I realize it's tough. It's two outs when you have a runner. I mean, the, the advantage is for the pitcher and the defense, but sometimes, you know, you just got to step up with some of those big bats we have in the lineup. I thought um, sometimes the mentality dipped. You saw some body language dip on some big innings. But just all in all, when games are going to be tight in the SEC, you have to play with a sense of urgency. You don't press uh, as a hitter, as a pitcher, but you just have to know when certain situations come up, you have to take advantage of them. Or you have to recognize as a pitcher, per se, this could be a dangerous situation. I need to execute as soon as possible before this thing's out of control. Or, you know, if LSU's got men on second, third with one out or no outs, they have to score multiple runs. It can't just be a sack fly, a strikeout, and a ground out, and you get out with one run. you got to put up two to three runs right there 
especially in these SEC games, to get some breathing room and to like Coach Johnson likes to do, you got to get in that bullpen. And then lastly, the third thing we saw, I'll finish on a high note, it had to be Mikhail Hilliard in the bullpen. Mikhail Hilliard was the um, he was the man of the weekend. He was the pitcher uh, of record for the only LSU win this weekend. And then lastly, I think you saw the bullpen establish themselves, establish roles. And then, oh, uh, Travinsky. To me, Travinsky was huge this weekend. Four out of ten, as I mentioned, with a home run. You saw him come into his own. And um, you just hope he can keep carrying that out until Malazzo gets healthy to where maybe Malazzo's the late defensive sub. Uh, and he comes in and does what he does. But back to Hilliard was amazing. And then lastly, the bullpen. I think you saw Razelman. I think he's the closer moving forward. I think Gervais is the setup guy, or he's a bridge to Razelman. I think you saw Cooper pitch really well this weekend again, and he can go multiple days. So I think he's kind of that setup late inning lefty-lefty guy. I think Taylor pitched very well this weekend. I think he is also a a bridge guy to where kind of like Collins, if a starter has to come out in the fourth or fifth, Taylor can – he throws hard. He's 96 with a good breaking ball, and he can get you to the end of the game if you need to, or he can go three or four innings as well. I think you may look at him as a midweek starter if you need to. So I think the bullpen really established themselves, and they're starting to carve out some roles. In terms of my get-right, stay-right list, uh, Blake Money, I don't have to push on that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not claiming defeat on that one. But my other uh, get-right was uh, Geo. So Geo struggled, and he got sub four on the Saturday game. Pearson came in for him in right field. So I, I was wrong on that one. And um, you'd like to see him come around being an older guy, a senior, I believe. But it's good to see Pearson get some at-bats, but I missed on the Geo call. And in terms of stay right, um, I called Joe Bear because he was so hot. He went three for 12 on the weekend, was a home run. And um, okay, I guess. I think he's still hot. He still has the ability to go yard anytime he comes up. And then also stay right was the bullpen, and I think I hit on that. So kind of 50-50 on the get right, stay right list. Um, I think that's going to be the slogan moving forward, so I think I want to put that on some T-shirts. So some 60 feet, 6-inch podcast, get right, stay right T-shirts. So be on the lookout for that. And then lastly, I'll leave you all with this because we're going long. One thing that I did learn with the pitching, and I'm going to focus on the pitching here, I don't think any of these pitchers – have an outstanding out pitch. I really learned that. Nobody has a, and this is almost for the whole staff. You can't really look at anybody besides Hilliard and Collins to say they're a two-pitch pitcher. Everybody has two pitches, but can you effectively use them to get out of jams and or set up your other pitch? I don't have I don't see really see anybody with a wipeout breaking ball besides Hilliard and Collins. They don't have a Patrick Coogan, Doug Thompson, Kevin Ship wipeout breaking ball, that's back in my day. So if you're 35 and older, you get that reference. For the younger crew out there, there's no Alex Lang, Kevin Gosman, Landon, um, more so uh, the ace pitcher from last year. Those guys had wipeout breaking balls. They threw 92 to 96, but they also had a curveball they could throw anytime, and they had a curveball that could bury hitters with two strikes. And it's very evident to me, unfortunately, that you just don't see anybody besides the two pitchers I've mentioned on the staff with a wipeout slider, uh, changeup, split finger, any type of wipeout secondary pitch. Um, and I think that may be a problem moving forward. Now, they all throw hard. 
You got anywhere from 92 to 99. But while that is a plus fastball, at the same time, you can really help yourself by having another pitch that you can really bury people with. When I say bury, I mean start it in the zone and finish it out of the zone or bounce it when you need to to where you can get big hitters with two strikes or you can get out of a first and third jam with one out. And you just don't have to rely on your fastball to get people out. And your fastball is good enough because they throw hard. But I would love to see somebody have a, a, another dominant pitch like a, um, a Razelman or Gervais, a Money, a Taylor or a Dutton. If those guys had a secondary pitch they could really rely on in tough situations. And it's not to say they may not have that one off, but I just haven't seen up to that to, to this point. So, all right, guys, that's it. So sorry I went a little long. Um, 40 minutes with my face on the screen. It's, it's rough. I get it. I totally understand. But I'm working on putting some graphics up. I'm going to have that sort out for the next, uh, hopefully for the next uh, SEC series and the preview. So I got to do some work on that. Like the YouTube channel, 60 feet, six inches, LSU pod, like the Twitter account, follow me on Twitter, subscribe to this. I will have everything up and I will put that link out on Twitter as well to the YouTube, to the subscription button. Um, it should be available on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. After this one, I'll have that up today. And um, so just shout out to everybody for helping me out and uh, being here and following me on this journey. So got Grambling on a Tuesday. Should absolutely crush them. Probably 20 to 2, something like that. And then a tough road series at Mississippi State. And they're struggling this year, but Duty Noble Field, excuse me, Duty Noble Field is an amazing place to play, especially that new park, but it's going to be a tough environment as well. So we'll get into that later on in the week. Look for the LSU Mississippi State uh, preview show coming up. And uh, y'all have a good day. So Chris Mui signing off. See y'all later.